This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm here today with Kirk Pugh. Kirk, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Jeff. Absolutely. So why don't you tell our listeners who you are, where you're from? Uh, my name is Kirk Pugh. I'm uh, located in Wilmington, North Carolina. Most people are familiar with Wrightsville Beach, part of the KBT Realty Group. Uh, it's myself and my, pe- my partner, Becky Brown, are the principals in the KBT Group, part of the Keller Williams Network. Awesome. And... We'll talk about your, you know, current career and and but what got you into real estate initially? I moved to Wilmington from Sea Island, Georgia about 20 years ago. Was sort of retired at the time, didn't I was in the hospitality business uh, for 25 years prior to getting into real estate. Didn't wow. really have an opportunity in that field here and got into real estate as a sort of an investment uh, alternative to traditional investing, stock market, and those sorts of things. Uh, so for the first seven or eight years in Wilmington, I was, uh, I guess you might call a, a, an investor, a flipper, uh, accumulated some rental property along the way. And uh, 2008 happened to our industry and the financial industry and decided it was time for me to get back to work and got into general brokerage back in 2009. Interesting. So then you've been in general brokerage since then? Yep. And hard to believe it's been uh, 12 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so similar to me, you started your real estate career as an investor and then yep. you became an agent or broker later. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I was one of those guys that didn't need realtors and didn't want to have a license and poo-pooed the industry for quite a while. And then as I got more and more into it, discovered that uh, there was as much of an upside to the brokerage business as there was to the investing side. So why not do both, right? Right. Awesome. And well, you know, after 2008, you couldn't pin a value on anything very well as an investor because values fell in our market from 2008 all the way through the end of 2011, didn't really stabilize until first quarter of 2012. And so my investment activities between 08 and 12 really stopped and got in general brokerage midway through that that uh, time period and started building that side of the business. Sure. Were you able to hold on to those investment properties and those stocks and wait out the storm? Well, I'll tell you, no, is the answer, the short answer. I had uh, 37 rental properties in uh, May of 2007 (laughs) by, gosh, I guess, end of 2011, I was down to a handful, but probably, I mean, the, my single greatest business accomplishment, despite my pretty successful career in hospitality and 
pretty successful career in general brokerage. You know, I walked away from the what they call the Great Recession, and everybody that I owed money to got paid, and I didn't hand keys back to anybody. I didn't lose anything in foreclosure. I liquidated a lot of stuff, including my investment accounts and 401ks and those sorts of things. But I came out of it uh, broke and healthy in uh, about 2011, 2012. Well, that's admirable. I'm kind of the same way as I've built my own marketing agency in the real estate space and built my businesses in my 20s. You know, I've racked up debt and and gotten to points where it's like, oh my gosh, like, is this heading in the right direction? And sure enough, you know, stick to it. Yes, everyone's going to get paid back. Yes, it's going to work. Yes, I can make this happen. And then sure enough, now today, like sitting pretty, credit's recovered, life is good, and things are moving forward in the right direction. So uh, I really admire that in you. And, uh, you know, no shame in anyone who had to, you know, declare bankruptcy or do what they had to do to for themselves and their family during that time. But, you know, I've, I've always just really tried to pay back my debts, like always pay back your debts. And, and that's just something that my father taught me. Well, so. something that it's the way I was raised as well. And, yeah. you know, there is no judgment, right? I mean, there were a lot yeah. of terrible things that happened to some really good people during that time right. period. And, and, and there were some people who took advantage of the system in the time period. But, you know, whatever. I, I, I worry about putting my head on the pillow at night and sleeping well. And I can. Mm-hmm. So. That's right. So let's talk about transaction volume today. Uh, I'm curious, you know, I, I want to talk about like where you're at today. And then uh, I have some follow-up questions that might be able to help my listeners. So go ahead. So I started my career with Cobalt Banker back in 2009 as a solo agent. My last year with Cobalt Banker, we did, I did 77 transactions without an assistant, without a closing coordinator, without a marketing helper. I was sort of blindly buying some leads from I was one of the first guys in the country buying leads from Zillow. I was with a lead generation platform called Zerpol for a while, which has made a little bit of a resurgence. But that that last full year, seventy seven transactions, just about killed me. Um, you know, that's that's uh, it doesn't matter what the per transaction value was, but that's a lot of administrative work to do for one guy. And I had come out of you know, sort of a terrible period of years where I was forced to sell off stuff at losses just to to pay back the banks, right? So about 2009, 10, 11 is when I decided that, you know, in order for me to sort of build a bigger business and recover, I had to learn how to leverage. I had to learn how to build a team and I had to learn how to do more faster at, at my age at the time, you know, in 2000. I'm 57 years old today. So in 2009, I was 45 and and really starting over professionally, uh, which is a scary place to be. So I left uh, eight and a half years ago, left Coldwell Banker to join Keller Williams, which, as most people know, is a pretty team-centric organization. I built a team and failed miserably at it the first go-round, didn't really know how to leverage talent didn't have enough trust in the people that I put around me to, to actually do the work that I hired him to do and uh, sort of regrouped and and started a new team or started rebuilding in, uh, gosh, it's I guess it's been six years now, almost seven years that we created the KBT Realty Group. And I took a couple of top producers, one of whom is no longer a part of our team, 
but we took a couple of top producer producers, one a native to Wilmington. Uh, I'm a 20 year resident and we, we started really looking for talent. And once we found talent, we, we tried to figure out where we could put them, right? We, we knew we needed talent. We just didn't know always how we were going to use it. Right. And so yesterday across the Keller Williams network and now across a bunch of brands was Pi Day, right? So you invite all your past clients and a Facebook memory popped up, you know, our first Pi Day. We, we as a team, we, we ordered 61 pies and we, we thought that we'd really done something, right? We're like, oh, we closed 61 transactions. Or we have 61 past clients that we invited to collect pies. And this year, across the company uh, here locally, we ordered almost 3,000 pies. So we've had 15 to 35% growth year after year, depending. This this year, we're, we're up about 44% over last year. We'll close just under $90 million, which in our market with an average transaction at $328,000 is a, is a whole bunch of deals. We've built a pretty solid foundation for the business. We could virtually triple our business without adding much more support staff, probably some fill-in contract to close people and maybe another seller services coordinator or two. But the infrastructure for what we've created with the team now can support a much bigger business, which we anticipate having. We also have a developer side, so that's that's a different entity. But we're getting ready to take on a pretty large project. So, got it. Here, Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of fast forward. I mean, that's a the two minute Cliff's Notes version or the forty five second Cliff's Notes version of of the trajectory of the team. So we're pretty oh, excited. Twelve year, twelve year career and a six year team building experience. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of my listeners have experienced the the trial and error of building a team. And, you know, you mentioned it perfectly, like not trusting talent enough to be able to actually hand off the tasks that you hired them for. And, and uh, really, it's a piece of humble pie to swallow, but it always comes back to the leader and the training and the systems that are in place. So that's been an experience for me when I was a recruiter at Cutco and they had incredible systems and training. So I didn't even really have to, to worry about that. We just followed the script all the way through the sales presentation. And then when you became a manager, you followed the script for management. It was just like 70 yeah. year old company. They had it figured out. But then I stepped into business and I had to kind of like realize that not every business has those systems in place. Right. And so right. if you're the leader, especially of a startup or a, a brokerage of your own, you got to create those systems. And, and uh, you know, that takes time and it takes focus and dedication. I can't remember what personal development speaker told me this, but it was do it once so that you never have to do it again. And the concept is, yes, it's easier to just, it's, it's not easier, it's faster to do it yourself right now and just get it done. Might take you 15 minutes for whatever task you're thinking of. But then it, it might take you an hour and a half to script out a standard operating procedure and shoot a video recording you doing it and really just like drill down on a training for that 15 minute task. But if you do it once like that, you never have to do it again. That's right. Yeah, and so that, that's something that has really helped me to uh, build and grow. So you're at about 90 million a year now, um, 300-ish transactions. That's that's awesome. That's definitely top in the nation. And I'm curious what advice you would give 
to a broker who's hovering around 60 million. Uh, maybe they're doing a 150 or 200 transactions in their market and they want to continue to level up. You know, what advice would, would you give them at that stage in their journey? Well, fortunately or not, we've made a lot of mistakes. So my, my initial thought process years ago was we just need more, more people, more brokers, more agents, more, 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 more. And what we found out uh, through trial and error and failing was that more is not necessarily more. Sometimes more is less. And we top graded many of the agents that were on the team not recruiting $10 million a year producers. We're recruiting the guys that are doing a million to 2 million to 3 million a year that only need systems, models, and processes in order to take that $3 million production and turn it into nine. And so we've had some success with that. And as I coach all of our agents, there's only two ways to increase your business, either do more or increase the the, the price point at which you're doing the same, right? So we have been sort of hyper-focused on both getting our lesser producing agents into better production and getting our uh, top producing agents to focus and be intentional about the price points that they're going after for both buyers and sellers. So my first question based on your, your answer is top grading is a term from scaling up or that, that that's how I remember it. Is that a, a book that you've read and implemented the teachings from? I've read so many darn books. I'm up maybe. <laughs> okay. It's, I, a, it's, really... the, it's the sequel to the Rockefeller habits. Uh, and then the, the next one was scaling up where it kind of expanded upon just really why some companies grow and make it and others don't. And it goes through like people, cash systems, like just the four different steps and top grading was a concept, you know? So I, I just wondered if you had gotten it from scaling up, but that concept of taking your current talent and then supercharging them with a couple of simple systems or habits or areas of focus. Uh, that's, that's something that I know every broker would be excited about if they could turn their lowest producing agents and double or triple their transaction volume. I mean, that would be incredible for, for a lot of brokers out there. So you mentioned two areas of focus, right? Price right. point and transaction volume. Right. So if they want to be doing the same transaction volume, focus on price point. And then, you know, if they want to be doing, if they have a capacity to do more transactions as well, then great. Yeah. I mean, the, the way we built the infrastructure of the team is that, you know, the focus of the agents is doing what they should be doing, which is building relationships and having conversations with people about buying or selling real estate. And so in my role, I'm still a producing agent, although that part of my role is becoming less and less as the years go on. So my personal mission is to just to take those agents and we may, I meet with every one of our agents twice a month and we start our budget building process in October of every year. We do goal setting with our agents in mid to late October, early November. We build our budget for the for the year based on the cumulative total of each of the agents goals. And I'm pretty, pretty clear with them, you know, their goals are not my goals. Their goals are their own goals. It's my job to hold them accountable to themselves. And so when I have an agent that talks about wanting to increase their, I have a first year agent's going to close 48 transactions this year, first year out of wow. real estate school. And his average transaction is about $250,000 which is below our market average. And he works, as you can imagine, with a lot of investors. And he said, you know, I'd really like to increase my business from 
I don't know what he'll do this year, somewhere just under 10 million, I think. He said, I'd like to increase my business. I'd like to do 15 million next year. And and how do I go about doing that? And so we started looking at the activities that he's going to use to achieve that goal next year. And and a lot of it is very targeted and very intentional. You know, farming neighborhoods where we know the price point is, you know, in the mid threes as opposed to the mid twos targeting sellers, well, sellers and buyers geographically and economically. So we take that individual approach with each agent, depending on what their goals are and how, how they can best achieve it. And that's great. That's great coaching and, and management. You know, when you are able to sit down with your agent and create a custom plan for them based on your experience and make it simple, distill it down to one or, or maybe two key activities to focus on for the next year and then hold them accountable and check in with them a month or two later, hey, how's that farm list going in that neighborhood in the mid threes? You know, right. what questions are coming up? What objections? Are you door knocking? Are you getting objections that I could maybe help you with? Like what? And and following up with them, that in a nutshell is is how I was taught to manage at, at you know, back at Cutco. And then, you know, nowadays how I manage my team and it's effective. So uh, I really appreciate you sharing that and, and bringing it to everyone's, the top of everyone's mind. So I'm curious, about your entrepreneurial journey. You know, it seems like a career in hospitality that then transitioned into real estate investment that macroeconomics couldn't control that, but you still continue to persevere through that difficult time. And then now you've had success in essentially a third major career, which is real estate brokerage. So what's the single most important action that you focus on on a daily basis that you would attribute most of your success to? Pretty simple, right? I answer my phone. I return emails and like grandpa said, uh, you know, do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. And I preach that religiously to everybody on the team that doing what you say you're going to do and doing it on time or when you say you're going to do it and, and, and communication, answering the phone, returning calls, returning emails, returning texts is 85% of the battle the skills we can teach, right? You know, the, the math behind evaluating a real estate transaction between the math behind evaluating value, the math behind helping somebody build a, a development project. Those are all teachable skills, but we can't teach people to be responsive. And so in my hospitality career, there was a sign over my desk or behind me above my desk that said, Yes is the answer. What's the question? And I take that same approach in real estate. We can do anything. Now, that doesn't mean it's not going to cost you money or it's not going to be painful or it's not going to be difficult. But I believe firmly that we're realtors, that we're we're a service profession, not a sales profession. I don't think we sell anything. I think we provide knowledge and insight and counsel, uh, local expertise, uh, resources. Um, and as long as we're, as long as we communicate well about doing those things and we're timely and effective at it, um, I think that's the, the, the bulk of being successful in this business and any business. I think you nailed it. What my favorite client, Aaron Taylor, the real estate guy out in Vegas, he has a similar transaction volume and price point as you. And, uh, he says when he's asked for like, you know, an agent training, what are your tips to, to agents to increase their business? He says, pick up your phone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm even house hunting right now in uh, Southern California 
for a house for my wife and I, and I have my license, so I just call listing agents directly. I get so many voicemails. I right. leave so many voicemails. I don't get calls back. It's incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, that in and of itself is huge. But then, you know, doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it and the emails, the emails, you know, for me have been a, a system where like I respond to text and calls very quickly, but my area of focus has been email. And so I've had to put systems in place to be able to more effectively comb through, eliminate junk, focus on priorities, have like different folders for VIPs. And I really had to like focus there to right. because things, deals fell through the cracks. I lost money by not replying to email which is right. like, to me, that's a secondary form of communication. But I, if you don't communicate to others how you communicate, then they won't know that. They'll send you something urgent and, and important to email. And you're like, oh, I can respond to email in, in a 48-hour period and it's fine. Two days go by and you lost the deal. So, right. yeah, it's like so Especially in this market. Yeah, so important to stay on top of that stuff. So yeah. now I want to talk about, uh, you know, the the business generating sources. So first I'm curious about the difference between referral to like lead generation sources or like new business. So do you have a ballpark of your ratio to referral to, to new business? Well, we're, we're pretty fortunate. Um, well, I consider us fortunate. Our, our business breakdown is, is not quite 50, 50 buyers, sellers, but it's pretty darn close. So we're, we're a tiny bit buyer heavy, but it's almost an equal part of our business to the seller ratios. We know we track our incoming referrals, Keller Williams. And I'm sure every major brokerage has a referral network. We have a team of people led by my wife, who's our, our director of lead gen, but I have two internal uh, sales associates that work with her. My wife at this point uh, is wearing a couple of hats. She is managing our broker-to-broker referral network, which is driven mostly through social media and now probably as much through direct contact because of our past history with different brokers around the country. Um, So last year, our internet lead gen and broker-to-broker referral accounted for about 20, or this year, sorry, year-to-date, about $22 million of our business. So it's a healthy chunk. We, like a lot of brokerages, I would imagine, have seen our internet lead gen conversion rates go down, I think, for a couple of different reasons. There's a lot of competition out there, and the consumer, I think, gets kind of click-happy and, and they're registering for multiple sites and, and getting multiple points of contact with different teams, different brokerages, different agents. And it's, I think their mentality might be who's going to respond the fastest. We try to be that person. But I know back, you know, 10 years ago when Internet Lead Gen was sort of a, an emerging thing, we were crushing it. I mean, our conversion rates were huge because we were so responsive. And nobody else was. Today, you know, it's speed to lead, and and lots of people have figured out that you need to react quickly. We think we do, but you know, the 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 big question mark out there every day is for internet lead gen. Do we? Is it really wise to invest our money there, or should we take that same dollar and invest it in? We have a, a lady, we call her the Care Bear. She, her, her only job really is to, uh, we have a sort of a systemized program for making contact with our past clients because we know that's where the money is, right? 
And so her only job is to, to love on our past clients and make sure that we're top of mind with them. And it, you know, it begs the question, why chase after these internet leads at a one and a half to 2% conversion rate when we can just call the people that have already done business with it and ask them for more business. But we have systems and models built around both sides of that lead gen. Yeah, absolutely. And my follow-up question immediately to the referral to new business was what systems do you have in place to increase the, more, the amount of referrals? You mentioned CareBear, right? The system of reaching out to and providing value, probably little pop buys or gifts, things that are in that system that then remind that past client of you. And then there's a call to action in place, I would imagine, of like, hey, if you know anyone buying, selling, referring, you know, is that kind of how that system works for the yeah, referral side? Yeah. yeah. And, and multiple client events throughout the year, personalized thank you cards for agents that are, that are sending us their referrals. We don't do a lot with sending out the sort of generic copy, paste, click, you know, hey, I'm, I'm so-and-so in Riceville Beach. We'd love to have your referral business. We, we think it's more about building the relationships. Right. So frequently we get these big national events where we gather, you know, thousands of agents together. A lot of times there are multiple networking events built around, built around these conferences that aren't part of the main sort of program, if you will. And we find those to be more valuable for us to build those relationships than, than sometimes the event itself. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And then focusing on the online advertising, lead generation for real estate is one of the most searched phrases out there. You know, everyone's looking for lead generation, new leads. And I'm a digital marketing strategist. So I would love to dive in a little bit deeper on your online systems and then that question of like, should we still be spending, you know, with a one or 2% conversion ratio, do the numbers still make sense? So are you okay to dive into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, my wife's the expert in that area because I'm, I'm not, but um, we do it, right? So yeah, we've hung out with Zillow and we fired him and we hired him back. And recently we're right now, we broke up with Zillow again. So, but we, we have participated in many of the paid lead gen programs out there and uh, ojo comes to mind op city i don't know there's there are dozens of them yep we tend to stick towards the referral fee based programs now because it's similar to how we model our business we lead with revenue we don't you know nobody in our company has a company credit card we pay with debit cards so if we can't pay for it we don't buy it and i kind of feel the same way about leads you know if we if we're successful converting one of those referral based lead sources then the referral company gets paid and if we don't they don't um so we we tend towards that more so than we do to a, a zillow top model although i think i heard recently they're going to a referral based model also we, over a period of four or five years, we built a database of 15 or 16,000 people through pay-per-click campaigns with our uh, lead gen platform uh, that we use primarily today as a CRM. Uh, we're no longer paying for new leads. We're simply working the database of existing leads that we have. And we are very good with our systems and models around maintaining communication over long periods of time. We've had conversions of somebody that's been in our system for six years um, because we stay in touch with them for that long. 
So I don't know. Everybody's always looking for the shiny thing. Um, and I'm, I'm guilty of it. You know, I'll, occasionally I'll get something either through social media or directly to me in my email that looks intriguing or somebody, some online marketer that does a really good job of promoting him or herself as, you know, the next great thing. Right. And I can't say that we haven't made some financial mistakes in chasing the squirrel down the path. So I don't know, you know, we get organic leads now based on our optimization on Google that is, that is through Google's Google verified and Google certified. And I don't know what all the terms are because my marketing director tells us what we need to do there, but we're starting to see some real meaningful traffic through that type of online marketing. And we've got this database, right? 15,000 people that we try to touch, you know, at least four times a year on the phone. We touch them at least two to three times a month uh, electronically, whether it be through text or email. And of course, everybody in the database is on some kind of a property search. So they're, we're hitting them 40, 50, 60 times a month in one way or another. But I think the personal touches are the most effective, the conversations. Yeah. Absolutely. And you mentioned a lot of different systems that you have in place. A few that I'm particularly curious about, you mentioned some remarketing. And I know that on Google, I don't think that you can upload like a custom audience like on Facebook and then remarket, right? So are you doing remarketing on Facebook, Instagram for that database? To kind of get uh, we do targeted remarketing on Facebook and we do targeted remarketing on Google through people who have already opted into our platform. So right. we can take that list of people mm-hmm. that in our system, they have a little green flag next to their name and we know that we can talk to them and send them stuff. So we retarget to get re-engagement on our platform right. in that way so that when they're shopping at Amazon or they're looking for shoes or they're looking at Fox News or CNN News, depending on which way you go for your news, they're seeing our name and and information and they're seeing marketing from us on websites other than our own. Right. Yeah. So you're doing display ads on Google and then remarketing that database on Facebook. Yep. Nice. And, you know, like I said, you mentioned a lot of other different systems that are in place. I know a common one nowadays is uh, YouTube for inbound traffic and for search, you know, that falls in the search engine optimization realm of like Google, my business, Google, and then YouTube, you know, so right. um, do you have some things set up there for like out-of-state buyers on YouTube or anything like that? You know, we don't. And YouTube is, is sort of an area of focus for us in 2022. Just we're in the process of hiring a uh, former investigative reporter for one of our local news stations who's a very talented person to uh, be our sort of real estate news reporter nice. that will continue to build out our YouTube channel. We know what videos on YouTube get us the most action. And those tend to be sort of neighborhood. It's not an expose. There's a word for it, but just general interest news stories about neighborhoods that are not necessarily real estate specific, but just talking about lifestyle and amenities and location relative to, to other attractions in our area, primarily the beach. And we know those get a lot of views. We haven't gotten skillful enough yet at figuring out how to monetize YouTube. But for us right now, it's a building process where we're, we're just trying to gain exposure and gain, gain views. Yeah, absolutely. So many things to do, right? 
Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So with that being said, I'm curious where you think the industry is heading. You know, there's a lot of uh, things going on, like Zillow now pulling back from purchasing homes. Uh, and I heard that was largely due to supply chain issues. Although I have a inkling that their automated valuation method for being able to instantly value a property and know that they can make profit on it without seeing the property is probably a part of it too, because a lot of times estimates are like three to 5% off the actual, the actual CMA from an agent. But with supply chain issues, everything going on, Zill is pulling out. I mean, that's a big deal, right? Because this whole existential iBuyer problem has been like a focus of the industry. Oh my gosh, the, the robots are coming to replace us. Uh, but I'm just curious what your five, 10 year projections are for the real estate industry and, and kind of where things are heading. Well, specific to iBuyers, I mean, as a, as a current investor and a former active investor, if you're starting with a seven to 11% margin on a property that may or may not need repairs and you've never seen it, that's a pretty skinny deal to me. And, and if an invest, if a human being came to me and said, I want to buy property where I'm going to forecast 11% net, I'd say you're out of your mind. You, you know, 11% as a, oh, I didn't realize it had lead pipes underneath, you know, that your 11%'s gone. So I, I never had a lot of faith in the iBuyer program to begin with. And it doesn't right. surprise me at, at the magnitude that Zillow and some of these others are doing it, that they're finding out they can't make any money on it. In, in general, the way the industry is going, we're fortunate, I guess, in a way that we're a small market. Our MSA is only about 300,000 people. I don't have the many of there's not much of a discount brokerage presence in our area yet although they're all around us in some of the larger cities in Raleigh and Charlotte and Greensboro and Winston-Salem I feel like they're like many people that I listen to that there's there's continued downward pressure on on commissions from a real estate standpoint from a brokerage standpoint and that they're in our area you know 300,000 people we've got 3300 licensed agents in our area 50% of them will do fewer than will will do two or fewer transactions this year and so the you know the 80-20 rule definitely applies here it's probably more like 90-10 we i think that this market will probably cause we're in an industry that over 10 years has a 70% attrition rate to begin with I feel like this market will force uh, some of the hobbyists out of the market. And our association used to bill dues monthly. They've just changed that policy. They're billing 100% upfront for the full year, which I think will cause some of the hobbyists to say, you know, I don't really want to write that check for eight or $900 all at once. You know, $75 a month I can deal with, but I'm not writing a big check so that I can help my brother and my sister who might or might not buy something this year. Right. From a back to your entrepreneurial comment, our focus right now is creating alternative revenue streams, not big ones. Well, one of them's big, but we're looking at how can we create ancillary but related businesses to support not just our company, but our our clients, right? So we have a joint venture with a homeowner's insurance company that's been established in our area for over a hundred years. We're looking at uh, doing our own mortgage bank 
Uh, we're looking at a uh, property management arm of our business uh, because right now we simply refer that business out when we could be capturing it and and retaining those clients on an even more personal business relationship level. So we're looking at ways that we can expand our revenue and not rely 100% on commission income from from general brokerage. Because I think the industry will evolve and there'll continue to be pressure on commissions. And there's a lot of us. And, you know, out of 3,300 people, if you take 1,650 of them that are all doing two or three transactions a year, that takes a, a lot of transactions out of the pot for the people that do it full time as a profession. It certainly does. And you said a couple of things in there that I felt like you took the words out of my mouth. I've said, you know, the real estate industry as a whole, it, the 80-20 principle, it's more of a 90-10. You know, I've said that for a long time. And, you know, with my agency, that's why I really focus on top 1% agents and brokerages because I don't want to set up systems and drive potential home buyers or home sellers that are about to complete the largest transaction of their life to an agent that's inexperienced. Right. And that does one or two deals a year. So, you know, I started with that vision in mind four years ago and ended up being successful because, you know, when I drive home buyers or home sellers to experienced brokers, they have the systems to support it. They take care of them. They get repeat business through that. The lifetime value is higher, that client's happy, and I feel good about it. Right. So, yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying there. And and with the, the commission pressure, um, you know, coming down, it also comes down to value, right? Because so much is now being automated before the transaction. For example, on the buy side, especially nowadays, a lot of clients are just sending homes and they're like, hey, I just need access to this one. We've already like searched it. There's less driving around for the buyer agent. So the the roles are evolving, but it still comes down to the value of what you're offering that client, right? And helping them to not get into a bad deal um, or, you know, sell at the top dollar that their house could actually achieve if it's marketed appropriately and set up for a proper listing. So, yeah, yep, I'm with you on that. I'm curious, you mentioned you read a lot of books and I see some of the background there. What are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life or career? Uh, we're currently as a, as a team, uh, we're currently rereading the one thing. Nice. Um, and I'm trying to, let me look up here and see what I've read recently. I'm sure the millionaire, the this millionaire is, real estate uh, agent, right? This is next on my list. Nice. Um, Tax-free wealth. And we've been having multiple conversations with our CPAs about how do we ensure that we're not, you know, it doesn't dig any good to make a half a million dollars if you're sending 400,000 of it to the government. And right. how do we, how do we position our businesses to, to help legally it's tax avoidance, not evasion, right? So this book was recommended to me, this tax-free wealth by Tom Wheelbright. I haven't haven't gotten into it yet, but that'll be one that I'm going to study pretty hard. What else? Of course, I wouldn't be Keller Williams if I didn't have the millionaire real estate agent on my bookshelf. That's right. And I'm, I like some of the old school books. I like Who Moved My Cheese and, you know, yeah. a lot of all of Simon Sinek is somebody that I've read a lot of in the last 18 months, just because I think he's cool and I like his style. So I've read a lead with why do you, do you uh, right. recommend anything else from him? Yeah, but I'm terrible because I'm, I am old and I can't remember nothing. So I don't remember the titles. I just know I've read probably four of his books in the last 18 months. Nice. 
Yeah, I like his style. I, they kind of go in and, and like attending a seminar, I read a book, you know, if I take away three or four things or one thing out of, a, out of a, an entire book that sticks with me and I implement, I figure that's a that was a successful read. So I kind of go through them pretty quick. And once I put them down, I remember the one thing that I need to remember and the rest of it's kind of background. Yeah, absolutely. So... Is there a question that I should have asked you or anything that you'd like to expand upon from earlier? Well, tell me a little bit about who who is your audience so I can help understand what that what kind of benefit I might be able to add or, sure. or with pr- primarily real estate professionals across the country or the So public? Lockbox is a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success and that includes real estate brokers, mortgage loan officers and real estate investors. So we've had both commercial and residential guests. We've had mortgage and real estate guests. We've had investors. So uh, really, it's just the whole real estate world. But I focus on interviewing top professionals and then distilling down their action items of what created that success so that my listeners can duplicate it. Well, I would say to your real estate professional audience, people that are looking to either build a brokerage or build a team, systems are, you know, we identify, we did an offsite once a year where we go, the, my leadership team and I, we go sit in a nice room somewhere and have lunch and talk about, you know, what are we doing well and what are we doing poorly and what should we continue doing? What should we never do again? What should we do more of? And we also try to identify the greatest weakness of the team every time we do an offsite, which was in late October, we did our last offsite. For each of the first four years, we identified our greatest weakness on the team as being poor communication, not to our clients, but amongst ourselves. Are we communicating the vision of the team? Are we communicating our values to the team? And are we living those values? This year, this past October and the October before were the first two years where communication was not our biggest issue. And so... As a key to success, I would say building effective lines of communication. I'll tell you what, that the, the one great thing for us that has come out of COVID uh, was we said, okay, we, we although we were deemed a, whatever they call it, necessary industry in our area um, and were allowed to continue working, not everybody was really comfortable being in the office every day. So we implemented a Monday through Friday daily huddle on Zoom from 8.15 to 8.30, Monday through Friday. And in in that time period from so March of 19, I guess, when COVID started or 20, March of 20, we actually developed better relationships and had more effective communication with the team because we saw everybody every day for 15 minutes. So I, I think communication is key to success. And then, you know, being in the moment, being present uh, for your clients. For the, what are some other keys to success for us? Really, it comes down to being of service. And this is specific to our clients, but it sounds you know simple and stupid to say, but I've already said it once, do, do what you say you're going to do and do it when you say you're going to do it and communicate. And that's, that's success. That's what has driven our success. Makes sense. And I appreciate you sharing that. And on the communication point, one of my early mentors said, and this always has stuck with me. The number one reason why any relationship fails, whether it's in business or in life, is lack of communication. Yeah. And I heard that, I don't know, 12 years ago as a Cutco rep. And literally to this day, it still rings so true. And I've, I've experienced it throughout 
the last 12 years. So yeah, really, really communication is so key. And like you said, there are pros and cons from COVID. And one of the pros has been the adoption of Zoom and certain technologies. And like you said, that daily huddle, 15 minutes, so simple, but to just increase that communication on a daily basis between the team, it has apparently done wonders because then since then that's not been the, the biggest flaw of the team as identified by the team. So that's great. And after 18 months, we finally had an aha moment and said, you know, we should record the daily huddles and put them on our intranet so that when somebody has a question about dual agency, we can refer them to our video database of our Zoom meetings where we talked about dual agency for 15 minutes one morning. Do you have Uh, them transcribed as well? Baby steps. We just, after 18 months, we literally about a month ago started archiving and recording and archiving all of our daily huddles so that we have, we have records of all the meetings that we have. And we also involved our team for, for the longest time. It was just me leading the zoom meetings. And after about six Mm -hmm. months, I'm like, I'm out. I got nothing left. Yeah. (laughs) And, and then we, we spread the wealth among the leadership team um, but it was still sort of a, it got to be a little bit routine and the effort sort of waned some. Uh, and then we said, well, why are we limiting the leadership of the Zoom meetings to just the leadership? Let's get the everybody involved. So now everybody on the team, whether they be an admin or an agent or a member of the leadership team, leads a Zoom meeting roughly once a month. And to do something once a month well is a lot easier than to do something 25 times a month well. So we found them to be more valuable and it's also engaged the team more and and brought us even closer and more tight-knit than we were in the past. That's awesome. And if I could just add a little value, the next step I would highly recommend would be use something like rev.com and have videos transcribed just get an automated transcription. It doesn't need to be the human one, but it's super cheap. Their AI is great and it'll have some typos. But what that does is it'll create this intranet that is much more searchable based on the content of the video, not only the title. So yeah, yeah, that's helped a lot with my own. um, I like the second brain idea. And as I built my agency and built info products and I was shooting a lot of video, video is easy for me to create, but then how do I make that searchable and and valuable to those who want to then find, you know, it's kind of like the blog post. If it's texted out, people can search it and find it online. So same idea. There you go. Cool. So really appreciate having you on. How can listeners contact you? Uh, Let's see. Email is Kirk at kbtrealty.com. And my cell phone number is 910-622-3478. And I'm one of those guys, you, you see people post all the time that you know, they've got 400 emails and 500 unanswered text messages. I've got, where is it? Zero. Uh, uh, zero. I had had zero 45 minutes ago. I've now got 12 texts and 14 emails, but in in 10 minutes, that'll be down to zero again. So (laughs) I do return calls and I do return emails and texts. And if anybody's coming to the beach, we'd be happy to meet you. Uh, If just nothing else to make another connection with another agent from somewhere else in the country, And if you're relocating to the beach, we'd love to help you do that too. Awesome. Well, I appreciate having you on. Kirk, Pew, everyone, 
Really appreciate the knowledge that you dropped of growing your brokerage and having some really effective systems in place now. You know, after having a team for six years, you really focused on increasing that communication between the team, having systems that support them, and really overall having a high productive team rather than having a ton of agents that don't have a lot of support and aren't aren't producing a lot. And so right. I, I you know commend you on that. And I think that this episode there's a lot to learn. So I encourage my listeners to always go back, listen to your favorite episodes on Lockbox and listen to them two, three times so that you can really get the message. So thank you so much. I hope you have a great day. Thanks, Jeff. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. You too. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free ultimate real estate goal setting framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.